So what else you got to do on March 3rd of 2023? So again, I, I love these numbers, 332023. I don't know why I like that, but I do. Uh, but if you have nothing else going on, you should listen to Common Sense Ohio. Why? Because everybody in Ohio needs a dose of common sense. And if you take our common sense, apply it to the rest of the world, well, you just might learn a thing or two before we're done as Bill Cosby's. I shouldn't even quote Bill Cosby, man. He's like persona non grata. But uh, I think he used to say that at the end of picture pages for those who are nostalgic pop culture uh, buffs. Anyway, uh, I'm digressing too far. We're commonsenseohioshow.com. If you've got questions, concerns, thoughts, if you want to check out Norm's blog, you can do that there. If you want to check out my blog, you can do that there, except there are no blog posts there for me yet. Brett's got a few. I'm lacking behind him like the at the baseball game when the three uh, mascots run. I'm like way behind. <laughs> Uh, I'm still on like first base and everybody else is all the re- all already rounding Are you third. Like mustard? Mustard, yeah. yeah right. I'm like mustard. <laughs> so if you bet on me, well, mm, yeah, I guess it's uh you never know. Uh at any rate, we are uh, at the round table. Anybody who uh has some concerns or thoughts or still want to know information about uh, the train derailment, the chemical spill. Uh, all you need to do is listen to last week's episode with uh, Jay Simons, a, a dear friend of mine, but also a, an incredibly astute, experienced expert in environmental cleanup issues. And it's funny, after uh, we did a long show with him, it's going to come out on YouTube too. So YouTube too. In other words, there will be a video feed out there in various places. And uh, he covered uh, a lot of stuff about what is going on there, how it uh, should be cleaned up, how it's not getting cleaned up. And uh, he even uh, had a diagram and some other stuff that you'll get to see. Uh, and uh, there's a timeline that uh, that's, that's, that's on the website now, Brett. <laughs> yeah, for as accurate as I can be with it. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, at, le- at least it gives you a little timetable of what did happen, some stuff that maybe you didn't see in the news. Yeah. That, that between Norm and myself found like, oh, this happened, this happened, didn't realize that happened. And that's kind of cool to kind of see that things we were talking about last week, we didn't realize maybe in hap- may have been happening. Yeah. It was never covered. And that's okay. That's why we're here. Yeah. Just to unfold some stuff. And, and what's interesting about the news coverage on stuff like this is it tends to be biased in ways that I think the news folks don't even understand. They, they, they tell the story that they want to tell. And it may, the story they tell may not be false and might be very true. But the errors become those of omission. Error is not the right word. The misunderstanding is in the omissions because if you – we'll just give the news the benefit of the doubt maybe. But – Anyway, if you don't cover everything, the things you don't cover seem to get lost. And if somebody doesn't go back and connect all the data points in a coherent way, uh, eventually at the end game, that gets extrapolated out. It's like uh, if you're off by a one degree in an angle uh, at two feet, when you, when you get out to like 100 feet, you're, you're way off. So anyway... Uh, Jay likes to connect the data points and, uh, that's what he looks for. So we we'll probably get an update from him maybe next week, uh, on, uh, on what's been going on. Cause I know he's done a deeper dive and I will say this and I'll shut up about it. The, uh, I, I watched some other coverage and now, uh, after we have aired ours, lots of people are coming out with environmental specialists who are sort of saying the same thing Jay's saying, not sort of, are, are actually saying the same thing Jay's saying about, uh, the chemicals that were created, the danger of it and, uh, what should be done, what's not being done, why people are surprised. So. Uh, with that, we'll get to our next episode here of Common Sense Ohio Show.com, and uh, we'll roll. Norm, what do you got going on uh, at Jump? Well, just to just to add to um, the East Palestine thing, and now it is uh, the Rail Workers Union uh, head and his union members 
that feel they, they've written letters to uh, uh, the U.S. EPA and to Governor DeWine uh, demanding, uh, now that their workers are experiencing uh, illnesses and nausea, headaches, et cetera, they're, being, they're now saying that at the time that they were addressing the emergency, you know, they were advised that they didn't have to wear any PPP at all, which is just mind-blowing, given what Jay said about hydrochloric acid, um, any dioxin. Chemi- any chemicals yeah, you think you unbel- want to- It's unbelievable. That, right. That it, in fact, one worker asked that he be allowed to leave. He did. He, he was feeling sick, and his supervisors at Norfolk Southern uh, made him stay. Would not let him leave. I mean, wow. so here we go. You're right. It's going to be like uh, the post 9-11 uh, firemen and uh, construction workers who were told by the EPA back then, you're, you're fine. Just, you know, just carry on. And and there's been all these illnesses and deaths uh, post, you know, 9-11. They shouldn't have gone in there, you know, or they should have gone in with PPP on. Right, right. So, yeah. Anyway. Um so Ohio seems to be facing, you know, this is really disheartening subject matter, the idea of race and uh, children in school being manipulated um, in any way. You know, just, you know, why can't we just teach about the Civil War, teach about the Civil Rights Movement, you know, te- teach about it in a, in a rational, um, scholastic way? and educate uh, children, I, I, it just seems like people are ch- sticking children in a breach of a gun and firing children as weaponry now f- for their own adult agendas. And so there's any number of race stories involving Ohio schools now. Um, I think uh, we... You know, we're seeing parents at places like Upper Arlington, um, Groveport, Madison, Hilliard schools, all over Ohio. And one of the saddest things that I've come across is this story out of uh, Springfield, Ohio, where the CRT or uh, parents who are jacked up on, you know, their misconceptions about American history, or I, I don't know what's going on, or the kids themselves watching stuff like Disney's Proud Family, where there's, you know, they're showcasing in a cartoon uh, young black children who are radicalized, chanting things about rep- reparations and that, quote, slavery built this country, unquote. And lots of anger, lots of just rage and you know uh, so they came to school um on uh, two three weeks ago uh kenwood local elementary school in springfield ohio came to school and uh a certain number of what are described in the police reports and the newspapers as black quote-unquote kids hunted down alleged to have hunted down, captured, physically dragged a certain amount, maybe all, I don't know. You know, the facts will need to come out when the police end up charging some of these children, which they said they're going to do. 
We're talking about elementary school children dragged white students to a playground at the school, forced them to recite BLM, Black Lives Matter, Marxist pledges, and videotaped it. And in one case, hit a kid in the head who, who was refusing, um, ended up you know, with, with an injury. So the charges the police are talking about are assault and menacing. Uh, it was a school principal. This happened on a Friday, Monday morning, the next over the weekend, Monday when the story got out um, amongst the parents, the principal called the police Monday morning on February the 13th. Um, and the principal told the police that white children were corralled. Those who were resisting were chased and dragged and carried to the playground to make these BLM ch- pledges. And uh, the parents are upset. You know, it's like the next step after the CRT training. Well, then what do little kids who don't understand you can't use violence? You know, they're, they're, they're not mature. But if you're going to imbue them with the CRT concept that when you're born a certain color, you are inevitably racist or you're a victim, depending on your color. You're, you're just, you're, I guess these little kids are like, well, what do you do with that information? Right? So if I'm being taught that, you know, little Johnny over here, because he's white is a white supremacist and he hates me from birth because of DNA, because he's born that way, which is what BLM and CRT teach. What, if you're a child, what do you do with that information? Well, then you would maybe think, Hey, I'll drag that kid over, put him on camera and make him say that I, you know, regret being a racist and I'm sorry. And I, you know, I pledge to adhere to these principles of BLM. So it's, well, this is, this hmm, is what's, what's troubling about this really. I mean, I I always like to take this out of uh, maybe the politically charged topic, because if kids were doing this for any reason, it is, it is uh, nothing you want to see happening in schools. So you know, I remember as a as a grade schooler, there was like one group of like we had like our little gangs out in Highland Souders <laughs> Elementary School in the middle of nowhere. But it wasn't really gangs, but you know, it was like groups, and there were kids running around saying, "Be on our team, be on our side, be on your side." You know, and you know, we all everybody got in trouble uh, in a huge way. Because it was just unacceptable behavior out of kids. And now you sort of wonder now if something is happening that's encouraging this because somebody either approves of the message or agrees with the message. And whether you approve or agree with the message or not, this is behavior that you don't want happening in schools. You don't want kids bullying other kids because that's what this is. You know, when you're when you're when you're using force to uh, against another kid to get them to say something, agree or do whatever, it's bullying. I mean, and there ought to be some consequence. And it's just even more politically charged because it happens to be this critical race theory or Black Lives Matter or you know, or, or maybe if you reversed it. And this is maybe the best way to look at this stuff. What if it were? I want you to say that the KKK uh, is. Um, I want you to pledge allegiance to the KKK or I want you to wear this shirt that's that's all white and says KKK on it. You know, everybody would be completely, utterly, totally bent out of shape about that. And, you know, and rightfully so, 
And just the same way going the other way. You don't want this kind of indoctrination happening uh, at that young of age. And you know that's what that's what's so troubling about it. That these it feel if you feel like our kids in public schools have become pawns in a game that's a political one that should be happening at such a higher level. And and this is true. I would submit whether you agree with critical race theory or don't agree with critical race theory, you shouldn't want this crap going on in grade schools at all. Um, and then you know we we've talked about this on the show before, but I sent you guys that email from a group out in Upper Arlington, uh, and it looks like there's a. Uh, there's somebody who's a critical race theorist coming in on March 7th. Actually, we can pull it up. Uh, and, you know, it's just one of these groups that, that sent this out. And uh, so it looks like uh, there's a grant request from the media specialist at, at uh, the high school, uh, Jones Elementary, Hastings Elementary. Some guy named Nick Stone um, imposed her – or wait a minute, it's a gal, I guess – her critical race agenda on your show. Anyway, it, it, the point is is that the school is sort of endorsing this kind of stuff. And Norm, I think your point, your your concern is that by endorsing this stuff, they're sort of encouraging this bad behavior, or at least tacitly encouraging it, and uh, it's starting to trickle down at, to the lowest levels where you don't want it to be. So I would yeah. say our kids ought to be taught a curriculum that is uh, not political. Yeah, <laughs> maybe is, is a, the way to say a, it. apolitical or what? Yeah, I mean, and, and at exactly. least in this action, a, a, apolitical, apolitical is a great word. Yeah, that's a great word for it because everything is politics, of course, of course. But but uh, but it, you can it, teach that. You could talk. Yeah. You could teach also yeah. about politics. Right. You can teach about the civil rights movement and and go over the intentions, good or bad, of different people and teach the political story mm-hmm. as well because that that's part but, of the you know, story. You know, here's, here's yeah. a line you get, though, because I've had people try to use this line on me. What, you don't think that our kids should be taught about the evils of slavery? And I'm like, well, that's... Whoever, whoever said that, though? That's a, that's a loaded question. Exactly. Of course. And my, my response is always with a question. Wait a minute. How old are you? Oh, you're 50? So am I. I'm 52. Were you not taught about the evils of slavery in 1980-whatever? Right? Whatever. Of course right. you of, were. Yes. Of course you were. Duh. Nobody, I, and, and maybe there were parts of the country where that's not true. I don't know. But at least in Ohio, where I was raised and where I went to public school and got a public education, I it was ingrained in me that slavery was a bad thing, that it was that prejudice was the word we used back then, mm-hmm. is a very bad thing. You shouldn't prejudge people based upon uh, un, or what you think or what, what they look like or what you think they're like or whatever. You should get to know people. And if you went to and, school in the South, you had a total different perspective on, on probably how the Civil War was taught. Probably. Yes, you probably did. Because of and, just generational learning. It, 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 it has its taints. Fair but, enough. But it's still, I think we're all in agreement. If you it talk, was a if bad you, scenario. If you talk to, um, uh, uh, which I have, if, if, if you talk to uh, black folks, uh, from the South who have moved up to places like Cleveland or Chicago or Detroit, I have been told many times that they feel that race relations today in modern America are better in the South than they are up North hmm. because post-Civil War for the last, what, 150, 175 years, they've had to cope with the issues of free blacks that used to be slaves and what their rights are and, you know, reconstruction and all of that, that was all happening for the next 150, 175 years uh, through the civil rights movement, adjusting from 
pre-Civil War society in the South to today. And, and, those, and, and the people in the South had to confront that, had to deal with it. I guess you, maybe you would look at it as like post-Nazi Germany uh, or post-apartheid South Africa where, you know, society had to go through some tumult and had to go through some uh, rethinking of their values Whereas up north, you know, where the, the union was the winning side and uh, not a whole lot changed. We had that mindset already. Yes. And and we were actually living with anyone yes. that was able to escape or was freed or whatever the case but might the be. But the separation yeah. of yeah. the races uh, in the north was a thing and continued to be sure. and, and, and didn't get blown up like it did in the south. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe maybe this is what, what you're trying to say is that left our own devices – we can figure it out. And it may not be the most direct path. And by we, I mean humans, people. Because we all are humans. You know, we all are imperfect. We all are what we are. And, you know, it, it is remarkable to me what humans are capable of doing when left to our own devices. You know, it's like we don't need somebody who presumes to have all the answers and presumes to want all the power to tell us and force us how to get along. And, you know, I'm not saying that never is is the situation, but if you just go back to, like, John Locke, he would say, look, we have this state of horrible human existence where humans uh, have this ambition to get as much and, and, and have for themselves and, and selfishly act. Um, and that is exactly why we don't need a firm government because in the course of doing that, we have figured out how to interact with each other on, and you could say that it's not perfect because obviously slavery exists and existed as a result of that same thing. And maybe every now and then you need things like a big civil war to end it. Um, but on the other hand, like what you're saying, Norm is in the South, they have found a way to get lockstep on things or found a way to, to move forward. Yeah. Uh, despite horrible history, despite, uh, generational uh, prejudice and, and, and bad. And, and I've heard all sorts of slurs, racial slurs one way or another. And, you know, we, you know, we've all heard those things, but uh, I, I wonder if left to our own devices, where it would end, you know, instead you have this government intervention, which all of a sudden has created up here in the North race controversy that I don't think existed before, you know? And if you, I, I heard, I, I don't remember who it was, but I've heard this several times. Like in, up until like 2014, uh, people were polled, like, how are race relations? And everybody felt really good about it. Like, like mm-hmm. 80, 90% of the population felt that uh, things were good. Both, all, all races, things are pretty good in our country. Things are getting better. And after 2014 uh, and going forward, it's all now it's like down. It was like 85 or 90% thought, I think it was like 84% thought it was great. And now it's like reversed. Yeah, in 2014, uh, you know, President Obama famously was wrong on virtually every single interaction case between police and black youth. And he did a terrible thing by cheerleading protests before the legal system was able to digest, indict, investigate report back to the public what had happened in whether it was Ferguson, Missouri, or whether it was that, uh, that terrible uh, situation where the, uh, gosh, I can't think of his name, but he was uh, shot by a, uh, a Latino 
they described him as a as a Latino white guy, George. Uh, gosh, down in Florida, yeah. that that situation. And and Obama would grab a hold of those issues and pronounce a judgment ahead of the. You know, it's unbelievable for a guy who taught at a law school that the president would jump the legal system rather than say, hey, folks, let the system work. If a jury needs to get, or a grand jury or a a trial jury needs to get impaneled and we need to try somebody, George Zimmerman case, that's that's what I was, uh, then, you know, that's how the system works. And he was the perfect president being half white, half black, it just, you know, with a beautiful family and, and was popularly reelected, you know, it, it blows your mind where we could be on race relations today had President Obama really, instead of amping up the divisions, had perhaps been that one key person in American history to bridge you know the the, the, the one the, of the key person. One, he yeah, might one have, of them. He, he, he it's a remarkable. He was placed at the right time in a most remarkable way, and he did not grab the reins and lead us he as a nation. He, he did the opposite. He did the opposite. He drove it into the dirt. And what's interesting to me Terrible. is, you know, you, you look at this, and he was elected by an overwhelming majority. Mm-hmm. Of white people too. Of white people. <laughs> oh yeah, right? yeah. So if look, yeah. if in you know whatever white, how means. does that reflect right on the notion that this is a racist country? Yeah, it. Mm-hmm. And right. it's 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 like I didn't think twice about the color of his skin. I could care less about the color of his skin. Hundred percent. But then, and you know, and I don't care if he's. It doesn't make any difference because other politicians have done this, where they weigh in on issues. That need to, that first need fact finding. They make a they make a, a crime or criminal behavior a political issue before figuring out what the heck happened, and it turns into this this char media charged, right. racially charged, hands up, don't um, shoot, divisive which, the narrative, right? You know, hands up, yeah, don't shoot, hands up, don't and, shoot, and, and, and it never and, happened. It never happened, right? And that was a black jury so, that that did not indict the police officer based on black witnesses to the event involving uh, Michael Johnson, I think his name was, vis-a-vis the the police officer. He was taking the gun away, attempting to take a loaded firearm away from the police officer through the window of his cruiser. And at no time did he hold his hands up and say, don't shoot. At no time did the you know, the officer target him. So it's just, uh, you know, why didn't people in St. Louis in the general area, why were they, why were they not encouraged to be calm, let the system work that Obama and his justice department would oversee the process and ensure that justice was carried out. Well, the same mm-hmm. thing happened with Floyd. I remember texting yes. uh, people at the same time, and, yes. and I remember seeing that video for the first time thinking, that looks really horrible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That yes. looks horrible. This is awful, right. awful, awful. Right. And I texted, I was texting with a colleague, and he goes, have you seen this? And I said exactly that. I said, yes, this is really bad. And then I had a question. I wonder if it was motivated 
by racism. And he exploded. Because he presumed that it was. He presumed that it was. Right. And I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm not saying it was. But it's the first question that needs to be answered before you take the next step of saying the police are racist. Uh, So you couldn't even logically make that step. Let alone, if you're going to do no. it at all, you at least need to know if this one no, because was, was motivated by several, right. several of the officers involved in the George Floyd incident were themselves minorities, including blacks, on the scene. <laughs> officers involved right. in it. You know, just like the Tyree case down in Memphis right now. You know, the, 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 every officer involved in that incident right. was black. And, and they screwed up. Right. It, they were either mm. terribly trained or they're just terrible cops or a combination. Or a combination. Right. So you wonder. It's like, why can't it be that, that. they're just bad police? Exactly. So if they Correct. were white, it would have been a racist narrative immediately. Immediately. And I'm not saying it wouldn't have been racist, but you can't start with that. You have to start with, I wonder if it is motivated by race. Right. And that's a fair question to ask. It's a fair question to ask. I'm not going to say don't ask it, but I'm not. I'm also going to say you have to ask it before you presume it. Absolutely. You, you need to figure sure. out. And but it's, it's now become the, it's, it's it's the now, start point. It's the start point, and that is what is so regrettable for these little children that now they're, 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 they're sensitized in an irrational way to view everything through the lens of race. And, and when the, the, the Dayton NAACP president was in the newspaper saying that her question is, quote, what led up to this? And she means it in, the, in, a, in a way, meaning what triggered that, that these, the, the, that the, the perps, the black children involved in this, whatever number of them and who, whatever their ages are, and it may certainly probably wasn't all of them, just, just a certain group. So whoever the police charge, her, her question would be, well, what, what led up to that? Meaning, I think in her mind, that there had to be some transgression by white students that triggered the black students to act in such a way. And I would answer her back that that's, that's really not a great question because what, what the children are accused of doing is not uh, saying things. It's not thinking things. They assaulted and menaced and, and actually did battery to some of these other students. You cannot lay your hands on another child that has to be the the starting point of the of the lesson white black any color you do not use violence in school out of school to resolve whatever issues are in your mind that's not what you do and and she should be asking herself cuz the BLM people have gotten involved now and they have said that they regret this incident but like her believe that there is some triggering event and I would tell those people to look within themselves. Uh, Black Lives Matter, during 2020, there were 8,700, 8,700 BLM events, 574, these are FBI statistics, involved violence in 140 cities. And between 6 and 20 people, depending on causality, uh, 
analysis, you know, you, whether they died at the event or whether they died later, between six and 20 people died in these 574 violent BLM incidents, including one police officer was killed. And t- 2,037 cops were assaulted and injured. So for the BLM people to be asking in the Dayton Daily News about what led up to this, my golly, <laughs> BLM people, look look to how you have taught your children and uh, the children of America how to resolve grievances. You you you've you you've put on a a course in in using violence to address what you feel are legitimate issues to talk about. So, hey, the children are impressionable. That's what children are. And we're teaching them. And and we're teaching them the wrong things. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to side a little bit with that, that question of what's triggered it. And I don't mean this to be white on black, black on white, or whatever the case might be. But we do need to figure out why this is happening. And I think that, to me, that's, that is a legitimate question as it moves forward. We do need to find out. Well, I think the is, parents, is it is it a home situation? Right. It, was right. it the white kids triggered to, the black kids? But that reaction is overkill. You know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not C, justifying it. Was at it all. CRT being was caught? it? I'm sure there the people. Are, I, I at, think at, we need to know well, what, what the, triggered it. I think the parents at yeah. Upper Arlington are are looking at this other Ohio school sure. and thinking, well, wait a minute. If you come in and hammer the kids with CRT and tell them from birth. You're a racist because you're white, which is what they teach. That is what they teach in 1619 Project, in CRT, BLM. They teach that you cannot be, that that you are prejudiced, that you are a white supremacist from birth in your DNA. And if you teach people that, if you teach children that, right, this is what the UA parents are upset about, and this is possibly you know, a theory, but this is possibly part of what led up to this thing over in Springfield. Well, and I think Steve's analogy of that one degree off, that that just that little piece, if you're one degree off, all of a sudden you're at 100 feet, you're way off. Right. And and, yeah. and, and, it, and it leads to this situation. It leads to this. So it's like the, yeah. the unintended consequences of this are severe. I mean, they're you severe. Say, yeah, I and, agree. And Brett, you're exactly right. I always say this. It's like I said with Floyd. I want to know. I want to mm-hmm. know. I want to know the facts. Like what was done. We need to stay curious right, about what? what is going on. So I on. was I was I 10 years old when Martin Luther King was assassinated by a white supremacist. I was 10. I remember it like I remember when the Challenger exploded, mm-hmm. like I remember when Desert Storm started and my brother was in Kuwait. I remember these things, certain dates like we all do. Oh yeah. Right? So what were, you how doing did, the, what were you doing at that time? So how did, how did my parents address, okay, mm-hmm. and, and some, somebody might look at my color and claim I'm white or brown, or I don't care what they claim, but they might look at me and say, okay, how did you, middle-class, suburban, white kid, how did you and your parents digest the news of a white supremacist killing the spiritual and incredible leader 
of not only black people, but people of all faiths, people of all colors, Martin Luther King. How, how did you digest that? And I'll tell you, in our house, we grieved. We grieved. We were upset. You know, Bobby Kennedy was killed that same year. The Vietnam War was going, and you would eat dinner, and there would be clips of, of terrible things on TV. Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, Vietnam War. And how did, how did our parents deal with that? They exposed us to that. They discussed it with us. They had us pray. They had us wear uh, wristbands for the POWs in Vietnam. We, you know, we were taught to love everybody, and I do. And I just wonder about children 10 years old attending this school and being taught the opposite, being taught to hate people based on their color. I mean, it's so now what are those white kids going to think, you know? That, that were forced to kneel and dragged to the playground. What is the life lesson they're going to carry forward as adults? I hope they can forget about this, but I doubt that they will be able to. And it, it will create a dagger in their heart. And, and this is how the revenge cycle, you know, like the Israelis mm-hmm. and the Palestinians, yeah. it never ends. Right. And at some point, this has got to end for our society. We, we need to have peace. And this is, this is not the way forward. Yeah. Um, if I can just transition a little bit, guys, and unless somebody, I got a, I got a flyer as, as you guys might know, I'm a, I'm a, um, firearms collector of, of small beer. I mean, my, my collection is, is worth, uh, very little, but I enjoy the history of firearms. And I got a newsletter from the Ohio gun collectors association, uh, in the mail this week. And it had a very interesting page. Uh, with uh, Civil War firearms, uh, th- with three pistols uh, from three different Ohioans that fought for the Union uh, in the Civil War. And one of them later became governor of the state of Ohio. He was shot by a rebel sniper, lost his leg. Could, you know, back then, the Civil War doctors, you know, they used a saw and they'd stick a piece of wood in your mouth. And, you, you, you know, you didn't get, you weren't put under. You Maybe they had maybe a couple of shots of Jack, shots of whiskey. Of the, of the local moonshine. If you were done. lucky, right? Yeah, and then yeah. they saw your leg off. Uh, so at any rate, it reminded me of, of the valor and the sacrifice. Literally, this guy lost his leg, right? And, and, and was governor of Ohio for two years, two-year term back then. And um, at any rate. Uh, went back and practiced law back in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, by the way, has a slave museum. It's the Underground Railroad Museum. Uh, so we have institutions in Ohio that have addressed the ugly institution, the evil of slavery. And including, during the Civil War, the Union had 664,000 casualties, 110,000 KIA, 225,000 to disease, 30,000 as POWs in Confederacy uh, POW camps, and 25,000 by accidental deaths, wounded in action, 275,000, like that governor of, of Ohio whose, whose firearm was, was collected and found by somebody. Mm-hmm. The president of the United States 
was shot by a white supremacist, right? Abraham Lincoln, assassinated because the outcome of the Civil War went against the South. Ex-slaves collected their own money. Now, where does an ex-slave get money, right? I mean, that, that would be an incredible sacrifice. Collected money and built some of these statues that they're now bringing down in tribute to the sacrifices of not only white but black Ohioans that served in the Civil War. So, you know, I mean, it, it, maybe that lesson needs to be taught over there at Kenwood Elementary about not only the injustice of slavery, but the incredible outpouring of righteousness, you know, the grapes of wrath, right, mm. to, to free the slaves and, and what that involved and the sacrifices made and literally the martyrdom of the, of the president who signed the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation. So yeah. um, end of my little historical perspective. Now, but, now, what governor was this then? Oh, gosh, I think his last name was, was Norris or Morris. Or, I, I okay, gotcha. I, I don't know, no, but he, was, yeah. a, uh, he yeah. was a Cincinnati lawyer okay. and um, practiced law. Uh, after he was governor, went back to Cincinnati and kept kept going. Wow! Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, he Jeez. did not get reelected. <laughs> so, yeah, one, yeah, for the one term, one term, yeah, <laughs> or he may have just had enough. <laughs> yeah. for two years, I don't blame him. <laughs> you know, fill, filling in on this a little uh. bit, um, a report came out from the Columbus Police Department. Um, now, Columbus City Schools is the largest school system in the state of Ohio. There are 800 school districts, if you count up county boards and and various other kinds of um, education districts, 800. The largest is Columbus. In Columbus, the police have reported during the first three months of this school year, meaning August to October, there were over 5,000 major acts of violence in the Columbus City Schools. And, and let, me, let me go through mm. these. 200 of them involved uh, sexual imposition or sexual misbehavior of how, some kind. How many again? 200. 200 of the 500. Of the 5,000. Oh, 5,000. Excuse me. Yes. Okay. 165 incidents involved guns. 1,100 of the incidents were assaults. And 3,400 involved threats or actual fights. So you've got to wonder what's driving that, right? Yeah. Again, using violence to resolve issues. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and that's for three months out of a nine-month school year. So if we stay on track, which I hope we don't, at the end of the school year, if this trend holds, it will be 15,000 major acts of violence as categorized by the Columbus Police Department inside of Columbus uh, Public School District, um, which is just, yeah. Yeah. I can't process it. Exactly. And if you think about this, it, there is no way that these kids can be taught with those many distractions. Number one, you're coming to school fearing 
for your safety, more than likely, because you've heard rumors this is going to happen today. Yeah, I don't, so I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back. Right. Go Mom, back. don't make me go. Right. And then during the disruption of the school, then the classes shut down because you know it's happening probably during the day, lunch, between classes, whatever. So nothing gets done. These kids are failing because the schools are failing in them. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what are they. Is it more cops? Is it the, you know the, the the metal detectors coming in? Uh, almost a police state to go to school. And again, it's that it started a long time ago and didn't get taken care of. And now we're to this point. Yeah, it truly. I mean, this stuff doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah, it's a graduation of letting it happen, letting it happen again with outside forces. Yeah, you know, parents not stepping in, not to, not controlling their own kids right one parent family possibly white black yellow oh. green i don't care what color they are yeah, for sure we're every color is at fault nope. for not taking care of their kids no question you know so i don't and and, that, and that's where we're not we're afraid to go in to the family because any political party that does is going to get retribution yes yeah, you know, right. to try to take care of something, but right. dang, we are we're we're losing a generation of kids. Remember to, bef- to acts of violence before, that they're not learning. Before Bill Cosby had his uh, sexual predator uh, uh, personality exposed in in his trials, he said some great things about fatherhood and involvement of of. Uh, parents with their children Mm -hmm. i mean just great stuff yeah uh and it it applied you know to everybody all families of 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 any color uh, or any economic uh status and i think there's a lot to be said for the breakdown of the family as a as a primary cause Mm -hmm. for a lot of this oh it's amazing that i remember we were talking about you know earlier in the the podcast about cosby and, and his early years of the program stuff i love the cosby kids oh sure And there was not a white relatable kid in that cartoon. Yeah, and it wasn't. I loved that cartoon. And they were lovable kids. They were lovable kids, and the lessons learned. Yeah, his message was family universal. Yes, sir. Universal. And you can say, look, here's what's interesting. You could take Bill Cosby as a perfect example of this. Bill Cosby, it turns out, was doing some really bad stuff. He was. Yes. All right. But it doesn't mean that the message he had on these other items is a bad message. And this is the problem. This is the problem with human frailty is that none of us, not one of us is perfect. Not one. And if, you know, if you're going to say that um, uh, this guy had a good idea here, but because he did these bad things, the idea it was bad, it's a logical fallacy. So you can still, you can still appreciate the ideas. You can still appreciate what Cosby was, uh, was portraying back in those days. And at the same time, say, if all these things are true about him, he's still an evil bastard, right? You know, it's like, you know, you can still throw him in prison. You can still prosecute him. You can still castrate him if he's raping women. You know, all that is all true at the same time. That's what's, there is no, everything has to be this sort of zero sum game for these people. And, and, you know, this is the cancel culture we live in. It's, it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's. They almost it almost seems that people like it that Cosby did these things because then they can throw away the old message. Well, and sadly, he probably won't get recognized for the stuff we're talking about till he's dead. Until he's dead, yeah. Then yeah. he can't do anything more wrong. Right. <laughs> right. right. Now yeah. we can actually celebrate his early life stuff that he did some really good stuff oh, because he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just that's the way we work. Yeah. It just is. <laughs> and you know the it, to me the color of his skin is irrelevant and. Uh, 
all, all and they're silent because it happens to be black skin. You know, right. on, at the same time, he did these bad things. It's just it's it's why you can't judge people by identity like this. It, it just mm-hmm. reflects why you can't do it. You brought up yeah. cancel culture and race, and one story that I think we can all laugh out loud about in in in, in you know in in a subject that is you know terribly disheartening and terribly tragic. There is there was a state representative in the in Florida who this week introduced legislation that would decertify as a. <laughs> It would decertify any political party from uh, from primaries and, and general elections that ever held a platform containing uh, pro-slavery tenets that had statements endorsing slavery. And, <laughs> of course, that would be the Democratic Party. So this guy went back and found the platform statement at the conventions for the Democrats in like 1854, 1856, 1858, whatever. He, he, he dug them out, and he has copies of their platforms, and he said, look, if we're going to do cancel culture, and we're never going to forgive, and we're never going to forget, and once you've done something in your past, you're forever stained, and you can never do anything virtuous or good the rest of your life because of that one sin that you committed, well, then let's do that to the Democratic Party yeah. down here it, in Florida. It, it's yeah. just as illogical to do that as it is to do what they're doing in modern times, right? It's just so... It's, it's crazy. It, it, it's just as... Uh, <laughs> it's the, the People are moving the goalposts right. to... Right effectuate the end result that they want and not understand the history of politics and how the republican and democratic party have actually flipped over and over a democrat used to be republican in regards to their insights of politics see but that the labeling of the labeling of the parties interesting it's weird it's an interesting history because everybody thinks that there was this great shift that happened sometime in the 60s but there wasn't no not really there really wasn't no no. And uh, LBJ got his civil rights bill passed because Republicans voted because for Republicans yeah. voted for. It. Yeah, it, it's it's so like if you look at the history on this, actually, you know, who does a great job of this is Dinesh D'Souza breaks it down really well. Yes, he does. Um, so anybody who wants to really get the history of it uh, can look. But there is no great shift. There was never any no. great shift of any of these people. No. And, you know, the most racist of racist Democrats were being honored by Bill Clinton and others when they, you know, it's just, it's like, it is so by, by, by Biden, Biden, all right. of them. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that because I, I'm not going to say that any of those people had, uh, was all horrible or all good, but at least give them a fair assessment. You know, it's like, look, you voted for a bunch of racist crap and you were a racist yeah. Southerner. I think what Brett means and, and what I would interpret what, what I think he means is the Republicans have always been more laissez-faire, more like, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll take the mechanics of government uh, and, and, and make it neutral, and, every, and, and we'll make it colorblind, and we'll make it <clears throat> gender-blind and, and sexual attraction-blind uh, to the greatest extent possible. Uh, be, you know, it, and then you you go out there and you make a success or you fail. It's on you. What the Democrats have done when when you say they flipped, mm-hmm. Brett, and I, I I think I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. They went from being more predatory and creating, um, you know, a, a, a class 
really a caste system down in the South where they had Jim Crow laws. They had, they had hangings, they had, you know, lynchings and, and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, and, 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 and terrible civil rights situations uh, that, that needed to get worked out and, and happily today are mostly uh, things of the past. But they flipped in the sense that the Democrats then decided that instead of a physical plantation, they'd create an economic one and, um, and play Santa Claus, where you get just enough welfare, just enough Section 8 housing, just enough Obama phones, just enough of this or that or the other thing, uh, food stamps, where you can subsist, you know, at a 20,000 to 35,000 some odd, you know, income level and not have a job and basically live off of benefits, but never really achieve anything, never really be able to buy a house, never be able to buy, buy a farm, never really be able to go to college and get an education, just enough to basically kind of be on the government tit, you know, endlessly generation after generation mm-hmm. whereas the republicans would say we're going to teach you how to fish but then you're but that's it we're not going to do any more for you you're on your own go get a damn loan to go to school you know get a job get off the couch get your ass in gear and the democrats are more like no let's play santa claus like the student forgiveness bill right well, right yeah. you know it's yeah. uh it's an interesting notion that psychologically speaking you know giving people money never solves their problem never never in fact it probably does the opposite yeah and you know if i have tendencies to overspend and now i have three million instead of three hundred thousand yeah i'm going to overspend three million you know it's like you're not going to fix that by giving people more money right if i have bad habits if culturally i have been raised to do things that are uh um, inconsistent with success on a financial on financial scales i'm still going to be uh, terrible with money. If you give me more, you know, it's just, it's a matter then of degree of how big the mistakes you're making. Steve, that's so true. And, mm-hmm. and it's also true of reparations. So when Ronald Reagan, when he was president, uh, they addressed the Japanese internment during world war II, where the United States built concentration camps for West coast located, uh, Japanese American families, some of whom went on to get medals of honor. You know, the children of those of those Nisei families went on many cases to like Italy, places like uh, in Europe where I think it was the 442nd uh, battalion uh, that Daniel Inouye served in, lost an arm. Uh, and Bob Dole, you know, was, was injured in, in Italy. Uh, but the Nisei soldiers, many of were very highly decorated, but their parents had their fruit markets, their laundries, their restaurants, their whatever law firms, doctor, whatever they were, they were forced to to leave the West Coast and and live out in the middle of you know the mountain zone region of the United States in concentration camps. And I think Steve, the amount of money that they gave was three thousand dollars per person, which yeah. so when you think about that a little bit. If somebody was forcibly made to sell their business, sell their house, and move to the middle of nowhere, Colorado or Montana or wherever, what's three? That's an insult. 
Well, and there's no amount of money. What amount of money is going to fix that? That's right. right. And, right. and what, what amount of money is, how much do you have to give before it just becomes non-political? Because it's all political, right? That's it's, right. It's like, you're not, mm-hmm. do you really think that there's a reparation that can be made for that kind of injustice? No. 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 There's not. No. no. How can you, you just go have back? To say, yeah. you know what? We dropped the ball. We screwed up. We did something horrible. And we are going to do anything reasonably possible to make sure it never, ever, ever happens again. But giving you money is never going to fix it unless no. it's like right now. You know, so if somebody does, if somebody, if I have uh, a government action on me right now, like, you know, what a perfect example is taking up my land. So if the government takes your land in eminent domain, they have to pay you for it. Right. Now, I don't mm-hmm. always agree with how much they assess it at, but there, there has to be some remuneration for it now. But in like two generations, if they paid me not enough today and my great, great, great grandchildren want to get paid for that, it's like, no, it does nothing. It, 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 it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. It's meaningless. And think of all the variables, too. It's like think of all the bad stuff that happened. I, I, I don't want to say bad. I think of all the things that, that resulted from this pandemic nonsense, all right, in the last two years. My business went to zero. I lost all my employees. I'm now a solo practitioner. I've got my office manager is now, um, you know, it's like everything is upside down. I went from having six employees to me. And, you know, I could say that I deserve reparations for that. Yeah. But, or I could say, you know, as a result of that, it's caused me to sort of re-engage, do different things and, and, you know, find my way in a different direction. And maybe by overcoming the adversity, I'm going to be better off. Now, I'm not saying that it's, it, that there is no virtue in slavery to overcome that, right? I'm not saying that. So somebody's going to say, well, you're fine. Uh. <laughs> but that's not what I'm getting at. The no. point is, is that, you know, sometimes the reparation here can't fix it. It cannot fix it. And if somebody gave me money to fix that, how would I value that? And, it, you know, we have to look at that with East Palestine, the reparations right. of that. How do we put a price tag on helping yeah. those folks? Right. Uh, it's a difficult situation, correct? Well, what's interesting is the lawyers can do it. I'm not it. saying we shouldn't. I'm no, just no, saying no. it's the tough. Law, it, it, but it has to be now. Right. It has right. to be now. Yes. I lost my home. It's worth 500000 right. I can do that now. Mm-hmm. But if my kids in five generations say my great-great-grandfather right. lost their home, and I guess what I'm saying is like how much meandering has happened economically mm-hmm. and socially, et cetera, in those five generations. Right. Where, right. you know, it's like this kid went on and became a millionaire over here. This guy did this over there. This right. guy was an alcoholic, so he died. And this guy was in a war and he got killed. You know, it's like you can't, you can't no. do it. It's an impossible analysis. It's an impossible right. thing. You yeah. know, and it's like uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense to say we're going to give you reparations for stuff like that. Now, you're, t- you're talking about standing, basically, Steve. Like it, you got to do it now. The people, the people who have standing yeah. are, the, are the victims in real time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So – Anyway, I I think that's an abject failure. Now, what's interesting, though, from a legal standpoint is we do have a system that's in place to 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 deal with such things. And it is done monetarily. So and now this is also very interesting. If you're if you're injured or say your mother is killed in a car crash and you're already poor um, and you get a ten million dollar settlement or a million dollar settlement, um, I think overwhelmingly you will be poor again. You know, it's like, like the uh, odds, oh yeah, the odds are in that favor. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to fix your problem. Yeah, and I think there's also studies on lottery winners. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and not just not just economic <laughs> studies, but yeah. but psychological ones yeah. where people yeah. were depressed and miserable uh, before they got their thirty million dollar lottery. Yeah, and then they're depressed and miserable after, and then people quickly 
you know, I'm not saying everybody becomes or blows it all, but I think a lot of them do. Well, like pro athletes who who who, who yeah. are making millions yeah. and then end up impoverished and end up impoverished. Mm-hmm. Boxers, it happens to boxers, and this is this is not skin color related. No, so no, no, not. no. Football, yeah. baseball, it's yeah. it's kind of across the board. You know, uh, basketball. I think Larry Bird, you know, has the first dollar he ever earned. Like he's super tight, dude. But he's from some little town in Indiana, so he's probably raised that way. He was raised that way, right. so and not it doesn't happen to everybody. But it, you know, there is a cycle. You can't. I guess the what's the what's the message we've said a hundred times here is that money's not going to fix it. No, money's not going to fix it. No, it, it probably is just going to add to it, the pain. It may well exacerbate the problem. It probably will, because, <laughs> or, or at least it's sort of like back to our angle analogy. Mm-hmm. It will just it'll be a bigger problem. Right. So if you got a problem spending. If you got a hundred bucks in your pocket and you spend it, um, you've lost a hundred bucks. If you got a million dollars in the bank and you spend it, now you've lost a million, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. It's like, and you're both down to zero. And what you can <laughs> right. do with like a million dollars, you probably have an extended family all of a sudden. The damage, yeah. the damage right. you can do with more money. If you're like an addict or if you're an alcoholic mm-hmm. or if you've got a penchant for some sort of vice, um, the damage and the impact of a million is probably exponentially greater than it is with a hundred. Like not just not just extrapolated, but exponentially extrapolated. Yeah, and and so. that's what bothered now that the state of Ohio has legalized internet gambling across the board. That's that, that my, my blows my mind, and I realize we're doing it because well, all the other states around us were losing money because of that. Blah, well, blah, it makes blah. sense. Like, we had to we had to add yeah. a numbers racket. Yeah, <laughs> so we added the lottery, which is right. essentially a numbers racket. With every billboard in we, in the in the damn state has you know Kino, Kino oh is my like a, god, it's like all the bars have Keno, and then you've got now you've got gambling. Now look, I I I tend to tack a little libertarian on some of these things. Like I you know I I don't think the government has any business outlawing gambling. Now the mm-hmm. problem is. Uh, the crime that results from gambling is is what we have to you know that's where the government has an interest in this stuff mm-hmm. uh, just like with drug use the crime that results from and narcotics the, and the poverty and, and the poverty and they, yeah. yeah so there is a government interest there so it's it's a that's a complicated discussion for another day but um, our government is not just our government is sanctioning it and 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 sponsoring it and yeah. look fine so be it but when the consequences come. Don't act like nobody t- – it wasn't obvious, right? So there's going to be uh, gambling addictions. There's going to be people that lose a crap ton of money. Yeah. There's going to be people who uh, are gambling with their mortgage payments and car payments. Thus, broken families. disposable income. Broken families, yeah. thus, back yeah. to our school problems of 5,000 acts of violence it's in three sort months. Of like, it, here's the difference. Like You go to Vegas and you get the sense that – People are there with vacation money. Not everybody, but people are there with vacation mm-hmm. money. So there is some notion that, all right, I'm just here to have some fun. And then you go to like the smaller casinos or the smaller environments, or maybe even Ohio, you get the sense that they're gambling with their paychecks. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, that's a whole different game. And, yeah. the, and that they're doing it every week or every day. Yeah. And and I'm sure that happens in Vegas too, but I think you understand the difference. It's not like Joe Tourist um, yeah. thinking, screw it, I'll lose two grand on this right. trip and that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's it's Joe who needs to make a, a house payment, and he's lost it last week, so he needs to double up this week, and that's what's scary. We took uh, uh, my son Paul uh, on his birthday to a casino. I think I may have told this before. He walked in, you know. We we thought, oh, he'll he'll love hearing all the bells ring, and we're you know we'll give him uh, you know thirty bucks, forty bucks, or whatever, and let him you know uh, pull the one arm bandit, and you know he'll have fun. 
His first impression when he walked in, within five minutes, he said, Dad, why is everybody here look, why do they look so sad? <laughs> why, do, why do they look so sad? Because he's seeing all the blinky lights and all, yeah. you know, all the noise. And he says, geez, everybody looks sad. And number two, a lot of people in here look dirty like they haven't had a shower yeah. or, uh-huh. you know, like they don't have good clothes. They have holes in their pants and, you know, and I was like, geez, Paul, why did you have to notice all the, <laughs> I, I all the in, negative stuff? <laughs> I, I was in Vegas. I was in Vegas. I, this is going back 15, 20 years ago, probably. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I went, it, it was a, basically two trips. The first trip was a guy's trip. And then the second trip was something else, a seminar or something. So I was there longer than I would ever normally be. I'm like, all right, I'll spend two guys, two, two nights or three nights with the, with my buddies. And then I got to go to the seminar and that's another two or three nights where I actually have to do some work and stuff. And I was walking through the casino and the dealer, the craps dealer who we just sort of had fun with a couple of nights. Um, he, he, goes, he looked at me sort of funny. He goes, you're still here. And you're smiling. <laughs> like, usually, if somebody's here like five or six days, they're not smiling anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was so true. All right, well, let's let's hit some nuggets here. Well, um, uh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. So the Cleveland Plain Dealer came out with a little article. I love these kinds of stories because they're they're eye opening. Uh, th- they wanted to find out who in the nonprofit executive world is making $1 million or more in the city of Cleveland. They found that there were 38, um, you, you know, it, the, the, the nonprofits have to report uh, a lot of data uh, that's public record with the IRS. Mm-hmm. So uh, these employees, the 38 making at least a million or more, were at mainly hospitals. So Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, Summa Health, Akron Child Children's Hospital, and uh, and then at uh, Cleveland uh, Western Reserve University, so or Case Western Reserve University. So that's where the thirty-eight uh, one million dollar uh, nonprofit employees are working. And I just thought that was th- that's an interesting statistic. And I think people do well. And no criticism of the Cleveland Clinic or these other places, but I think people do well when they give money to charity to look at how much of that money, uh, you know, goes to the intended, uh, that's such a great work. I, in fact, what I used to do, I, I used to, it was on the board of a, of a sort of a grassroots type charity and we created the Eric Yavich scholarship fund. They helped me do that. And we had, uh, they, uh, by and large, uh, directions for youth was the beneficiary. So we'd go out to the directions for youth and do a presentation and give a scholarship to a kid every year. And it was always the kid who was like, um, not the overachiever, but like the, average achiever. That, that, that was my goal because I think too many kids are very, very capable at, at like uh, with a C plus average as opposed to the ones that are A pluses. They're getting all the other, and not to, not to diss those people, give them a tat tip them, but they're getting all the other scholarships. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give a scholarship to the kid who was very capable, but not quite achieving up to his or her uh, potential. And uh, every time I went, like at, uh, I was coaching uh, football at youth upper Arlington and I would go around to all the guys and my pitch was always this look I want you to buy this raffle ticket or or participate in one way or another or come to my chili cook off or whatever and I want to tell you something none of us make a penny none of us make a penny the only all the money in fact I, I front all the expenses Wow. And don't get paid back. And it's not like it was thousands, but you know, it's yeah. like if, there, if there's flyers, I would just print them and pay for them. Yeah. 
and, and none of us make any money here. The goal is to give as much money as possible to Directions for Youth, and that's the goal. It's not like I got a salary for being on a board of some charity. That uh, And if you dig into what the celebrities are doing, like the ones who are advocating for starvation in Africa or whatever, and they're doing those commercials, I would bet by and large they're all getting huge uh, endorsement, endorsement fee fees wow. for, for that kind of work. That would be so disappointing to find out. Well, I hope, it's absolutely true. I hope that's yeah. not true. Yeah, so when, when you hear, I remember who was it, it was uh, Jeff Bridges talking about plastics. You know, he had some he had some commercial. And I was like, I'll bet you that guy got paid millions, <laughs> millions for that. And he's, and he's acting like he's this virtuous soul out to right. save the world. Yeah. Um, um, other other items. Uh, the householder trial down in Cincinnati is uh, proceeding this week, and uh, um, I don't know if they're in session today. But uh, Larry Householder, former Speaker of the House of State of Ohio. Uh, twice <laughs> he he had one uh, stint and then he came back and had another uh, but at any rate he was on the stand this week um, his attorney seems to have some kind of personal grudge with judge Tim Black uh, the federal judge who's uh, holding the trial and uh, a lot of yelling a lot of posturing about tying uh, their hands in terms of motions denied so um, you know, that's going on. I guess we'll find out, you know, uh, when the jury rests. Uh, where well, they've that's rested. Going. Both sides have rested. Okay. It looks like mm. closing arguments are uh, scheduled for next Tuesday. Okay. Um, and that will be uh, that'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. And I guess Householder testified and, you know, who knows. But uh, who knows? Got, that has gotten so little press compared to how it was going to be pumped up. It, Don't you think? Well, really, we well we've it's had nothing. It's nothing. I have to look for it. Well, yeah, exactly. We've, we've had alien balloons, and you know, it, it's just <laughs> when, when that started up, you thought, yeah. "Oh my God, we're going to be glued to the TV yeah. for the next two weeks, right? Because this is going to be drama, right?" You and I'm not think. saying it, it, it it's not progressing and it's not going where it ought to go. I don't know. Yeah. But it's like, it's nothing. Yeah. Well, it's pretty dry material, and maybe that's what it is. Yeah. It's just so. And, 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 detail oriented yeah. and not sexy. Yeah, That's right. this is where, you know, I remember um, as a young lawyer sitting over at court watching two civil lawyers fight it out over like uh, an elevator failure. Yeah. And I, had, I was waiting on my case to get called for a break in that case. And it was like watching paint dry. It was awful. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be a good trial lawyer. No matter what the subject matter, you have to make it interesting. And, uh, you know, and I thought to myself, all right, elevators. Everybody wants to know how an elevator works. You could you could probably make that interesting. You, right. you could mm-hmm. probably like if you jump when you fall, like like all these right. stupid <laughs> questions. And you know, everybody like you could probably get a jury to be interested in that. And lawyers are so bad at doing that. Um, most lawyers are so bad at doing that. They get stuck like, all right, so identify this document. All right, now identify this document. And to some extent you have to do that stuff, but you have to fill in uh, the the edges with with more interesting stuff while you're doing it. And and you know, maybe that's not possible in householder, but yeah. typically that tends to disfavor the prosecution. In my experience, when the prosecution has a long, boring, miserable case, mm-hmm. like Doctor Death here last summer, yeah, they tend to lose. Yeah, or by the, they, by, they, they're more likely to lose. I would say. Right. By the way, I have jury duty next week, so no uh, I'll report back on how nice. that goes. So I'm Licking County, m- Monday morning, eight thirty. Right. Yes, sir. Nice. So my, I will say this: anybody for the last twenty-seven, eight years that's asked me to get out of jury duty, I give them all the same answer: nope. 
Oh, uh, no, I, I look no. forward to whether I get dismissed or whether they use me. I, I look forward to, uh, you know, presenting myself, you my no. <laughs> Pre- but, you know, present myself. And, uh, if I can be useful to the court, uh, fantastic. I'm, I, I'm I will say this as a, as a little nugget, JD Vance is coming. Uh, we, we talked about upper Arlington schools in a bad way. I was talking about a good way. They got JD Vance coming back. He's going to present, I think next Wednesday hmm. at the high school to, uh, juniors and sophomores who want to participate, uh, who are interested in, uh, the academies, you know, West point, fantastic Naval Academy, yeah. et cetera. And, um, Wow! Uh, somebody else is coming with him. Some some other uh, uh, politician, but uh, that's great. So yeah, you know, wow. I, I like to see these guys after they're elected coming back and getting involved in the community and not just hiding out in D.C. I also like that J.D. in the wake of that uh, train wreck uh, is working uh, hand in glove. It seems like with Sherrod Brown, the other mm-hmm. uh, U.S. senator, uh, they are proposing legislation and regulation uh, to address uh, the. Uh, the the brake sensors that monitor bearing the wheel bearing temperatures that we talked about which probably led the ntsb says led to the accident uh, all i would say to that is be cautious of thinking you can fix such problems with legislation and regulation yeah i think what they're doing is they're mandating every 10 miles there be one of those sensors you know, so it's yeah. some technical it stuff same, like seems common sensical same seems it, it seems common sensical but let's think about yeah. some adverse if you gave it some thought, there's going to be some consequences to that that also need to be considered. Like, what's the cost of doing that? Right. Yeah. And uh, is uh, so if the, if if all of a sudden railroads have to bear that cost, right? What are they not spending money on that they would have otherwise? Well, I will point out, according to lobbying records, Norfolk Southern has spent 100 million dollars in the last 10 years on uh, politicians. <sighs> so maybe they could redirect a little of that hundred million to censors. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, it could be, except the politicians, <laughs> I, I wonder how many politicians have gotten rich because of, yes, <laughs> because of their uh, involvement in some way with railroads. So it's like, yeah. it, there's always two sides of the conspiracy. And this of is what course. always gets me. It's like, everybody says, oh, these awful, horrible corporations, you know, they have so much power, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, you could actually limit the power of the corporations by getting the government out of their damn business. Sure. Right. And you, you, you can, these are the lobbyists. You can cut off I mean, both you know, all that world. Yeah. It's like a conspiracy takes two. It takes the government and the yeah. government actors and it takes the private businesses. Yeah. So, the big yes. one is the revolving door. We need legislation or, or maybe a constitutional amendment that just prevents politicians from entering the private sector in the area of which they served on a committee. You know, so if they're overseeing the railroad, you know, the transportation sector and they retire from Congress that they don't immediately get a job, you know, right. And that's ridiculous. CDC has happened so often. All the time. Right. It it is. It is so gross. It's It's, insidious. Yeah. It's like uh, and, you know, I saw uh, DeSantis along those lines. I think he said recently and i haven't verified it but i think he at least he claimed recently he's he's released his memoirs in a book or something yes and uh he uh he made it clear that before he took office he he was sort of a stock jockey he liked to play in the market and he got rid of all stocks and you know that that's the kind of yeah that's Mm. what i like to see and i like to see that because in law we call this not so it's not necessarily that if a politician also has money in the stock market that the politician is corrupt but it can create the appearance of impropriety. 
I think all the someone pres- will ask about that. I think all the yeah. presidents, yeah. It, to include uh, Biden, Trump, you know, all the way back, probably to, I'm guessing Gerald Ford, Nixon, uh, put their uh, investments into a blind trust. Yeah, uh, that that's kind of been standard. I don't trust it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't and then know. so you wonder. It's like, uh, all right, I'll do this for you. I'll take this action, and then all the and then afterwards, conveniently, you're getting uh, two million dollars speaking fees. Oh, after your president. So, oh, no yeah. question. So they, they retire, or they don't get elected, or they're yeah. done. And now they're on the speaking circuit. They're making tens of millions of dollars. Or you know, a guy like Biden's living in somebody else's house. That's a ten million dollar house, and the lease is cheap. Or whatever. I think it's like. I think Fauci's getting 200k for a speech. But you know what? But but, Fauci's getting 200k. But but you can't. You can't. I mean, I don't. You know, the speaking gig. I don't mind as much because that's that's as much as that that organization will pay them to speak. Well, if If they're out of arms length, if it's arms length, I agree with you. But what I'm what concerns me is that if there is a backdoor promise, like, look, I can't do anything for you right now. Yeah. But come give a speech for us. Right. Sure. After you're done. Right. And we will give you a million dollar speaking fee. Well, like the, yeah, yeah. the four what's happening. Yeah. Like the yeah. four years, uh, Biden was out of office. Yeah. In the interstitial period between uh, him and Obama, and uh, when he got elected, beat Trump. Yeah. That four years, man. That's what he we're all raked in. Oh, the money. dude, fundraising was, money for running for office. Wasn't he living yeah. in a house? I, th- I think it was Biden. It, if it wasn't Biden, it was somebody else. It mm-hmm. might have been a Republican. I don't remember living in a house that that uh, that somebody had provided for him, and you know maybe he was renting it to him at some less than arm's length. Rate. Yeah, right. but it's like this million dollar house, which is on real the, common. On the coast. Yeah, mm-hmm. happens all the time in D.C. It's real common. A congressman from Wyoming or wherever. Yeah, they got a gorgeous million dollar mansion for a dollar a year. For a dollar a year. Or something. <laughs> it's like, but do this for us and you'll have it. Yeah. Okay. Or even if it's not a quid pro quo, that's that express. Like, what's implied in that? Yeah. And you know, sure. I I think. It, I, I don't like it. No, <laughs> no, like, no, that's what it is. No, I don't like. It. I, yeah, and I always yeah, ask this question. Yeah, it's like I always ask this good. question of everybody. How are these? How are these government elected officials becoming millionaires? Mm-hmm. How does this happen? Right. Because they're not that smart, folks. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not. They're not. No, they are not that smart. You know, and it's like, or they're not smart in the way that makes you millions. It just it doesn't work that way, you know. Like the they're not concrete guys who build an empire of concrete trucks and delivering concrete to needs, or somebody who is um, right who invented something and then was able to capitalize on it because they're also good businessmen, like Henry Ford. You know, it's like those people are few and far between. Yes, they're they they're are. not they're not these dipshits that come yeah. out of uh, Yale or Harvard, yeah. and have zero business knowledge or acumen. They've never had to really work, and all of a sudden they get elected and they become millionaires. I, I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple couple other uh, interesting things. So here in Columbus, in Upper Arlington, in fact, we have a, uh, a, a presidential candidate for the Republican Party, uh, a young man, 37 years old, Vivek Ramaswamy. And Vivek uh, is a, um, a, a Harvard grad, Yale Law School he went to the same high school I went to in Cincinnati. He's a Cincinnatian. Went to St. Xavier High School, a Jesuit high school down there. Um, he's thrown his hat in the ring with Trump and Nikki Haley. So the three of them, and they're speaking all three at uh, CPAC 
the Conservative Political Action Committee conference this week. Uh, Vivek, um, we'll try to get him on the show. I've, I've, I've contacted him several times. He is in high, high demand nationally on, uh, on every news network. He, he, he gives a very good uh, presentation. Uh, at 37 years old, he's only two years past the um, qualification age to even be president. <laughs> you have to be at least 35. <laughs> he's 37. He is the CEO of a investment company called Strive. They are an anti-ESG uh, investment company. Uh, now, they their performance is not even at the level of the Dow, uh, but <laughs> neither are a lot of neither are a lot of uh, uh, investment vehicles these days. Uh, just about everybody's taken a at least a fifteen or twenty percent haircut. Yeah. And I saw an interview with him. I, I, that really isn't the point of what yeah. he's doing with Strive. That's right. It just comes down to an alternative. If you don't like what's going on in the politics of ESG, here's Strive. That's right. And it it will return Something. decently. Yeah. It just isn't going to include the other stuff if that bothers you. Right. That's okay. No Disney, no BlackRock, no Vanguard, Mm -hmm. you know, the the big evil ESG types of investments. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I I don't mind. As long as these other companies are, if the ESG investment ilk are upfront about it and you still want to invest your dollars in that, fair enough. Sure. Right. But it's when they're doing it without telling you, like they're compromising your shareholder returns in exchange for their agenda. That's when that gets sort of ugly. So Mm -hmm. amazingly, there is a bill on President Biden's desk about ESG investment where it it is a rule being proposed by some of the security uh, industry, mainly the regional uh, companies, not the national ones. But they, they actually got a bill through the Republican House and the Democratic Senate. And that, and they agreed on a bill that would make it illegal for an investment company to use anything involving um, ESG, uh, like philosophies, instead of doing the uh, maximum for return. Uh, so, it, you, you know, you have a fiduciary responsibility with people's money and you can't use your own biases, your ESG biases, like, uh, you know, you you want to, even though it's not going to make a lot of money, you want to invest in, say, EV cars, which are really down. Sales are down. Uh, stocks are down, like Tesla's stock is down. But yet BlackRock and some of the others would invest in those companies because they want to buck them up. But that's not a good return for their the people that they are are supposed to be investing for, these big retirement funds for the state of Illinois or Ohio or, or whatever. So um, Biden is said to be ready to veto that bill, not surprisingly. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me that – Manchin and a couple of other Democrats came over to the Republicans to support that legislation. It almost seems as though if you stop the ESG stuff, it pushes it underground. Let's well, decide it China. Well, it already is underground. That's it, the problem. That's the problem. Well, and, and it's become exposed. And now people right. are trying to legislate it away, which I think is going to be but a failure, which is what you're it's saying. It's going to shove it right back down. It, it'll, it'll, they'll just do it in other ways. In code words so of whatever. Right? I, think, yeah. I, think, I think the better mechanism than some sort of government action on this, this is why, like, beware of, of government 
bills that are designed to fix this stuff. Because the better action would be let the damn lawyers sue them. I mean, this is yeah. a shareholder lawsuit yeah. waiting to happen, I would think. Now, I don't do that kind of work, but I got some friends that do. But it's like, look, this is investor fraud. As Norm said, there already is a fiduciary duty. If I give an investment group my money, they have a fiduciary mm-hmm. duty. They, that means they have to act in my best interest. And they can't, and I'm giving up some of that in exchange for voting. Like I can go proxy, I can give somebody my proxy to vote for me in a mutual fund. I mean, anybody who's got investments gets those sort of notices. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there are rules at play already. And to the extent that they have been um, involved in this kind of activity and not disclosing it, that's where the liability lies. And I would think that a nice big fat billion dollar lawsuit against these guys would end this problem. Now, as you said, Brad, if all of a sudden you've got some government bill that creates verbiage that prohibits it, well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to get a really smart lawyer like me. And I'm going to say, well, here's what the bill says you can't do. So we're going to do this. Right on that line. Right bill. on that line. Right. We're exactly. going to come up with. We're going to come up with a way to. It's do It's a this. little. It's a little insidious. So I understand the need for a regulation or a law in this regard, guys. So bear with me. Let's suppose BlackRock, and this is a great. This is a concrete example. BlackRock is telling companies that it will not buy their securities. It won't buy their bonds. It won't buy their stocks if they don't institute DEI training for their employees, just as an example. Well, now DEI is not free. You are taking your employees away from their you know, workstations. You're putting them in a classroom. You're going to run them through that for like a week. You're going to bring in a paid consultant. And for hundreds of thousands. Hundred, if not millions. It depends on the scale of the company, right? And, and so... But you still at the core of it. Go if ahead, gonna, Steve. If Go you're going to create, if if you're <clears throat> going to create a rule that says a private entity cannot do that, at the core of it, you are into you are creating a government intervention into private business. This is the this is like the the two headed hydra. So one head would be the business, and the other is the government. Because as soon as the government enters that and can regulate it, it's it, yeah. The the regulation would not be to bar DEI. It would be to bar a a holding company like BlackRock or, or a, gosh, what's the word, a 401k company, a, a fund. It would be to bar them from requiring other companies to conform to their ESG policy. Uh, that, that, that's what Fair I'm Fair enough. Yeah. But then what you've got, that's all. once you have the government involved in regulation, and I'm not saying all regulation is bad, but you have to accept this fact. Once the government is involved in regulation, somebody like Norm 20 or 30 years ago is going to become a lobbyist. And he's going to come lobby what the regulations ought to be. Mm-hmm. And the more he lobbies, the more quid pro quo you end up with, and the more likelihood. I mean, that's like um, cancer thrives in inflamed tissue, and that is creating inflamed tissue for cancer once you have it. Now, I'm not saying all regulation is bad. I'm saying the process is bad. But once the government intervenes in that kind of stuff, then you have the potential for money changing hands in order to change the regulations or make them uh, workable. And then you have people after they get done with their government, you know, deep state job, they go work in the private sector and make millions because they've done this stuff. Well, apparently, see, apparently right now it is legal to do what BlackRock and Vanguard are doing. It is legal. Sure. But then if there's going to be any regulation, then for me, it would be they have to have you got to put sunshine on it. If they're doing this kind of stuff. Then it needs to be known. It yeah. can't be. It can't be done underground. So it's known. So like companies like Coca Cola, 
you know, if BlackRock wants to include them in some kind of large company fund for the 401k and they, they'll tell Coca-Cola, well, we're not going to put you in that fund because you don't have DEI. It then is coercive uh, to those companies. And you know who's going to run the DEI programs? Right. BlackRock. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, you, yeah. You create the problem in and, the solution at the same time. Right. Exactly. You know well, sure, that's happening. Correct. Sure. So, Preferred partners that, or whatever. So now you're talking more about Jeez. an antitrust problem. It's not, like you're sort yes. of akin to an antitrust that's problem. Right. Exactly. Very, very much uh, so. Um, right. But uh, on the other hand, as long as there's room for people to create funds that don't require that, I think the, the, it may not happen as quickly and it may not happen directly, but the problem will solve itself. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, guys, a, a, a funny story. Well, it's weird. So out in West Columbus, and I guess this would be near downtown. What would that be? The hilltop area? Let's go West for Columbus. It. The bottoms of the hilltop. Yeah. yeah. A 50-year-old man by the name of, now this isn't a paper. Well, he's an adult. I can use his name. His name is Durrell Honecker. Broke into the home of a, I shouldn't laugh. Broke into the home of a woman and a daughter here in Columbus, West Columbus. He was armed with a knife, not funny, but he was also armed with a mutilated rabbit that he had been eating on. He had stolen the rabbit earlier in the day from another household, and he entered their house with this bloody rabbit and stood there in the kitchen and growled at this woman and her daughter. So they ran out of the house, called the cops. They got this guy. But, uh, hey, I don't know what he was taking, and I don't want any of it. Wow. Isn't that weird? That sounds like a bad bad, bad Monty like Python. A, yeah, that sounds like a That's a little Ooh. Easter bunny story. <gasps> little Easter but, bunny story yeah. for, you know, for you guys. So. All right. Well, uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up longer than usual, as it turns out. So this has been uh, – uh, an interesting roundtable. I'm not sure we solved any problems today, but uh, we did at least try. So <laughs> eating uh, the rabbit. Check us out, commonsenseohioshow.com on the website. There is uh, all sorts of information, including back episodes. You can get there uh, if you want to become a guest. You think you got something to add? You think you can hang with Norm at the roundtable? You can uh, use the interface there to let us know, and we'll get you in. If you want your own podcast, you go to Brad over at Circle Two Seventy Media. And uh, if you need any legal work, obviously I do that. As it turns out, upstairs at uh, soon to be Palmer Legal Defense. And I'll be happy to help you there. So coming at you right from the middle, this is Common Sense Ohio, at least until now.